All right. Are we ready to do this? I don't know. No. <laughs> are we ready? We're, ne- we're never ready. <laughs> when, we, when have we ever been ready to do this? Um, so I'm, I'm pleased to say, I'm pleased to say, um, you guys will be glad to hear that our federal government is busy doing the people's work. Um, and uh, they are, uh, let's see now, there's that whole uh, controversy, I don't know how controversial it was. I guess it was a little controversial. That training policy, that uh, letter Loda thing that was going on with uh, right. experimental tra- uh, uh, flight training for a long time and and then we thought they were going to like throw it out completely and there was but uh, apparently the FCC has uh, has res- F- FCC FCC yeah the, one of those f letter letters the FAA um has uh, has what does the story say here let's find this let me maybe read the story yeah why should i start now come on why why yeah deal with that FAA rescinds controversial flight training policy the FAA has published a notice of policy in the federal register confirming that letters of deviation authority lodas are no longer required for most flight training in experimental aircraft where the use of the aircraft is not being oh wait a minute where the use of the aircraft is not being compensated Huh? Well, no, I guess that's right. Because experimental aircrafts would not be a rental aircraft. So, uh, um, well, uh, you know, unless it was like, you know, doing your Mustang training, I suppose. Right. Um, this is maybe not as a thing as what do you think, Jeb? Does this make, well, this sense? is, this is for, uh, owner, um, flown owner, owner, owned. Oh, yeah, right. owner owned, uh, yeah, yeah. obviously, yeah. but it's for flight training in an owner owned, uh, yes. owner, owner flown aircraft. Yes. Uh, there's no apparently, and I'm not reading this. I'm I'm just seeing this for the first time, but um, that seems to have been the the, the problem that the loaders were trying to to fix. Um, there is still the issue of an experimental aircraft being used for commercial purposes, i.e., flight training to third parties, and that is dealt with, I believe, by an exemption, a person by person, airframe by airframe exemption. I'm not certain of that. But that was what the LODA was, wasn't it? The LODA had to do with, again, training in, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. Yeah, because that was, cause that was yeah, the problem it, was a two-seat uh, P-40. Right. It's just that you don't need a LODA yeah. for an experimental yeah. that you own anymore. But you might still need a yeah. LODA to, well, to sell training in your P-51. Yeah, there, there are, as I recall, well, I, I'm aware of, for example, an operation Using a, uh, I can't, the, the twin engine um, um, uh, LSA. Um, twin engine, oh, right. The, yeah, right. That guy. The, um, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't. Lockhart. Yes. Um, go ahead. Just I'll, keep going. It'll come yeah, to us. Yeah, keep going. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's. <laughs> Aircam. Um, Aircam. Aircam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there's um, a, a rare, rare thing. Um, multi-engine seaplane ratings. Yeah, and there I know there have been, perhaps still are, exemptions from that part of the FARS that do not allow experimental aircraft to be used for such purposes uh, for air cams on floats to be used for multi-engine seaplane ratings. Yeah. Well, that's, that's well, a bit of an edge case. Very but specific. Yeah. It's very... Well, there, there's an operator, and I would dearly love to be, you know, 10, 20 years younger and go throw a resume at these people. But there's an operator, I want to say Virgin Islands, um, i.e. a U.S. Uh, airspace operation, that use twin otters on straight floats in a 121 operation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there and you go. Cool. Harbor, and Harbor, and it's like you know, you're wearing shorts and epaulets, and and uh, <laughs> uh, sign me up. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a rifle shot uh, usage, but yeah, that's the kind of thing that still need exemptions from the way I read this. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what the latest is on. Uh, uh, Dave would know, sadly, of course. Um, flight training in ultralights, because um, they were always just kind of wink and nod. To, to to the rules for that right that that was like, oh no no it wasn't ultralights are not experimentals well ultra yeah yeah yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah part, i'm sorry i'm yeah, mistaken part 103 the fat ultralights yeah, yeah right but but, the, but that, the, that exemption long ago expired. yeah but the loophole with the loophole weirdness with ultralight wasn't the training aspect of it it was that people were giving rides in two-seater ultralights uh-huh. claiming that it was training all right right um and uh, and I don't know how much that happens. Anymore. It's also confusing. Yeah, it's also it's all <laughs> rules. To, you, rules. Have, you have to be a, a lawyer anymore to fly an airplane. Well, so so essentially, this means that the uh, FAA has made this easier to do. Well, FAA not necessarily. Um, Congress actually did this yeah. first. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought Congress made it harder to do, or was that a was that a random judge? No, that was that was a that was a rando judge. That's right. Who made that? He says, "Well, I can't see the difference between this and that, and throughout the whole thing." Yeah. Uh, and of course, he's not a pilot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. But um, as I understand it, um, la- a bill passed last year for the current fiscal year has this language in it addressing this problem. And according to, according to the story in General Aviation News, that's the case. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Progress, I guess. Um, well, one step forward, one step back. You well, know. hopefully it's one one back and two forward. But yeah. Okay. I get your point. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? Um, uh, so anyway, so, anyway, that's fixed. You don't need a loader for this anymore. For for the most cases, no, like, most like, cases. as we've said, there are still a few cases that. Uh, right. Um, the FAA, their FAA budget's coming up again. Here we go. Here we go. This is where we came in two decades ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we've been talking about this pretty regularly. Um, it actually became so old hat for me anyways that we didn't talk about it for a long time. But is there anything specifically? So I guess I have two questions about FAA and Congress, but let's talk about the budget. Is there anything notable about the FAA budget these days? or is it Don't just... know yet. The budget's not um, Apparently, put out. It doesn't make any difference. Why don't they just pass whatever budget they want and then just refuse to pay the bill later on? Oh, sorry. Not a political podcast. I take that back. Never mind. I didn't say that. <laughs> or, uh, don't, make, don't make me come up there. <laughs> All kidding aside, is there anything controversial or interesting about the FAA budget this time around? It's too soon to tell. Yeah. Um, you will see. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to throw something out here. You're going to see a study as to whether or not air traffic control system might be uh, un. Uh, uh, incompletely staffed. Yeah, you might see a study about uh, runway incursions. Um, you might see a study about uh, uh, identifying uh, airborne objects that aren't squawking the transponder code. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, and, and seem to be dr- kind of drifting with the wind. Yes, so that's right. Okay, yeah. Um, but other than that, I couldn't tell you what's going to happen. Oh, and you know, they might have something about. Uh, you know, getting a new administrator. Well, that was the other thing I was going to ask. So we still, one of these days, we're going to get a new FAA administrator, or are we just yeah, going to well, just continue to? The, the the Biden administration is is uh, doubling down on a guy they nominated last year. Who? Oh yeah, he had a little bit of a thing though, and we he thought had, we were... he had a thing, and I'm not sure 
he's a transit guy and there was a thing in California and it's all, you know, again, confusing. The last word I heard was they were intending to um, renominate him. The nomination expired with the expiration of the last Congress. Mm-hmm. So that has to be re- renominated. And right. my, int- my understanding is that will occur. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. All right. And when they, if, if they pass this budget, it's, is it a five-year budget? Um, not necessarily. It can be. It depends. You know, they can write out, you know, 2028 and, and put in 2026. I don't know. Um, but um, the, the uh, administrator's position is a five-year position. That might be where you're coming from. Oh, okay. But um, in the past, FAA budgeting has been done on a five-year basis. It's, it's, but it's entirely up to Congress how they do it. Because it's been five years since they've actually passed one, right? That's probable. Okay. Yeah. Like well, I, like I said, like Drew, we stopped paying attention to this somewhere along the line. I don't know why. Because <laughs> yeah. we used to, I remember in early episodes, we'd talk about the budget all the time. And, uh, and uh, well, back was, then, I remember it was because they didn't have one for years. Well, like they just yeah. kept pushing it down the line. But I think they actually passed one like five years ago. Yeah, there was, there was, um, FAA funding was part of continuing resolution for a few years. Um, I'm just about to type in FAA reauthorization and hit enter and see what happens. Um, the last act was signed into law in 2018. So five years later, hey, it's 2023. Shazam. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Okay. You have to be careful. <laughs> the thing you put on the list, Jeb, one of the first paragraphs. Uh, the five-year length was lauded when a 2018 bill passed because there it took you go. a few see? years. Look at that. Set, the one before set. that approved in 2012 took five oh, years and 23 go. extensions to get go. passed. There you go. Let's see who wrote this. Carrie. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, perfect sense. Yeah. Jeb, you gotta, I have to warn you, Jeb. Um, you know, of the three of us, just just use caution, Jeb, because of the three of us, Drew is probably the only one here who's actually listened to every episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... You know, we got to be on our toes here because uh, he, okay. he's, he's, yeah, it's just a, I All don't right. know. So, so we can't, we can't do what we normally do, which is kind of talk, no. uh, talk out, no. out of our hats. No, we can do that anyways. He's got to okay. have to get used to that. If he hasn't gotten used to it yet, there we go. <laughs> well, there, there's little hope for him then. There we go. <laughs> little hope, little hope. Yet another episode title. Welcome folks to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from, uh, it's March in February, during Durham, uh, Durham, uh, Dover, New Hampshire, Durham's next city over. Um, and uh, where you the weather- Durham up there too. Wait, wait, wow. wait, not Bull Durham, right? No, no, no. Well, I mean the same word, but not, there's no Bull, well, there, it's-, it's the Durham it's, Bulls it's aren't the, from there. Think, think very no. carefully about how no, you no, answer no, no, this no. question. No, 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 it's the location, it's the location of the University of New Hampshire, so there is some Bull involved, all right, but, uh, that's, I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, it's, no, it's just simply Durham, New Hampshire. It's not the home of the Durham Bulls. The Durham Bulls are down in, uh, what is it, North Carolina, I believe. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, that's but, right. Okay, so the, the university near you in Durham, New Hampshire- they have a sports team. Yeah, they are the Wildcats. The Wildcats. Okay, the Wildcats. Wildcats. Well, some, somehow that is just so fitting. <laughs> is it? I don't know. I don't know. The uh, the. Uh, oh wait a minute now. Oh, I'm drawing blanking on it here. The minor league baseball team that's in Manchester, New Hampshire, is the Fisher Cats. Fisher Cats. Yeah, that's obscure. Look it up. 
so I'm here in uh, Dover, New Hampshire, where it's uh, uh, just unseasonably nice uh, for February. It's basically March weather in February, and I'll take it. Believe me, I have no complaints. Um, but I head to Florida for a quick trip in about uh, a week, and uh, just as it really starts to get nice in, in New England. Um, but I'm here in our virtual hangar talking to two of my good friends, and we're going to chat for a few minutes about what's going on in the world of aviation, or at least what we find interesting. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, my good friend from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, a fisher is a small carnivorous mammal native to North America, but is forest dwelling. How did they, I mean, how did they get the name Fisher out of all that? I don't know. It's probably, probably the name of the, the person who discovered them or something. That, uh, could well be. They're apparently nasty. You stay away from In the event that you come across one like in your backyard, which is not unheard of, um, you're, you're, <laughs> supposed to, you're supposed to don't mess with the fisher cats. I mean, it's like, you know, go mess with – if you have a choice of messing with a fisher cat or a raccoon, mess with the raccoon, and even that's not very smart. Um What's going on I'm down not, in Florida, Jeb? You having fun? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mess with either one. Uh, having fun? Yes, we are definitely having fun. Yeah. So, you have all, you all have alligators time. and scary snakes. Um, all snakes are scary. I, I couldn't agree more. Until until I'm identified otherwise, I couldn't agree more. Um, but, uh, anyways, good. So things are yeah. things are good yeah. in Florida, as good uh, as Florida can be. As good as Florida can be. Getting up, I was just telling uh, our our mystery guest here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, well, he he's a mystery for right now. He he'll be he'll be introduced in <laughs> yeah. just a moment. Just a moment. I was, but I was just telling our mystery guest that uh, um, uh, getting ready to get it gearing up to knock out another uh, issue of the magazine. Yeah. And uh, not looking forward to that, but kind of looking forward to it. So. I, it's a, I, I get it. It's a, it's a love-hate relationship, I would imagine. I don't know. Yes, it's, it's a, definitely a schizoid. Yeah, anyways. Um, and the mystery guest coming to us from uh, just up the road from the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California, is uh, Drew Poli. Hi, Drew. How are you doing? I'm good, and yourself? Ah, very, very good. So what's going on with you? Is I, and, and the Queen yeah. Mary is open again, by the way. I don't know what open means. What do they do at the Queen Mary these days? Um, well, they... it had closed because the, it had been condemned because they hadn't taken care of it. So it was leaking and it was about ready to sink. But somebody, I think the city of Long Beach, put a bunch of money into it. And recently it reopened. You can do events in there. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that might... Have you ever done an event there? Yeah. Yeah. A couple times. Yeah. Over the years. Yeah, Drew, it's an and, interesting Drew place. and I are both in the corporate events world, so that's what we won't go any further down that road just now. But uh, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah. That would be kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. What's going on with you, Drew? Drew what's going on? Uh, are you having fun these days? Uh, you're just flying I'm all over the western half of the United States. I'm I know always you having fun. You are. Uh, We're it's cold talk about... here. Okay. It was all right. Four degrees. Oh hey, hey, wow! Hey, he he broke that open. I didn't. I didn't. Say I know word. he did. You were good this time. <laughs> Thirty-four though is pretty cold. Uh, that's that's pretty chilly for for especially for you know southern half of California. Um, did you get snow on the hills? Yeah, that's um, not see, super recently, but there's still snow up there from the last storm, which was several weeks ago. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm. So. Uh, is it has it prevented you from flying? Are you, are you you know I mean well you told me the other day that you get your airplane got trapped down there and you had to leave your airplane behind and drive home because of uh, yeah. something clouds yeah it was clouds and honestly I probably could have gotten it home but once it gets dark if there's any chance of clouds I don't I try not to to right play with fire <laughs> such as it is that's right yeah. So you so. can't hear me not well maybe you can hear the rattle but I am nodding my head in in, uh, in agreement with his plan. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And you know, it's, and I'm playing and I'm, I'm actually back down today. So I'll fly at home tonight and, um, it'll be severe clear, but because it's so cold, it's a little windy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. It's a little windy, but yeah. that's all right. I'm used yeah. to that by now. Yeah. So, uh, just to, to, to clarify, Drew, Drew flies his 172 back and forth between his home in Santa Barbara and his business in Long Beach. Um, and, uh, he sends me the most stunning pictures, almost every flight of, uh, of either the sun rising or setting or the, the skyline, if you will, of, of Los Angeles or, or the lights of Los Angeles. I mean, just from miraculous pictures he sends, but then they're just kind of routine. You just see that stuff all the time, Drew. It's just no big I deal, do. right? I, it I, is. I, does it, has it gotten old yet? <laughs> nope. It'll never yeah. get old. I love it. I absolutely love it. I especially love flying at night, flying over yeah. LA, taking off from long beach and flying over LAX at night is just beautiful. I, I really like flying at night. I know. you And, do. Yeah. uh, and you know, but so I'll get up early when I'm coming into work and I fly, uh, I fly East when I'm coming into work and directly West when I go home. And so watching the sunrise, I've often sent you like sunrise pictures as it's coming up cresting over the hill and same thing going home i love it's it's beautiful it's in my eyes but it's beautiful i absolutely love it yeah i'm in the process of trying to send jeb one of your pictures here let's stand by where'd it go here Uh oh (laughs) do you want me to send it to him yeah, why it's don't great you radio. Yeah, I know, right? One of these, uh, I don't care. You, I'm looking at you, Drew. You recently sent me a couple of uh, skyline, nighttime skyline pictures, and yeah, uh, I send those to them. And Absolutely. Do, yeah, so I do it regularly, uh, especially when I go to someplace fun and new too, or like if there's snow. Uh, I like to take pictures of the snow, and I'll send that to Jack. <laughs> oh, I, I I send him pictures of my my pool thermometer. <laughs> yes, he does actually. Not simply the air temperature, the pool temperature, which is usually warmer than than it almost ever gets here in the air temperature. Um, so, anyways, um, uh, I want to give Drew a chance to do that because my next question is for him. Yeah, have you ever, go for it. What's up? So, um, a couple episodes ago, I talked about, I just referred to an anonymous listener who had uh, reported to flew often between LA and Las Vegas and had uh, told me some stories about getting turned away from landing at uh, uh, Las Vegas, uh, uh, formerly McCarran, now Reed, uh, Class Bravo Airport. Um, that was you, right, Drew? That, that was yeah. you who had been telling and, me And that story. one was a little different. I called ahead. And I was told ahead of time that I wasn't going to be able to land because because it was during um, NFL draft and they just didn't have the space. Okay, so because that's within, when I was turned. Within days of that of that episode being recorded, um, I got one uh, one of your many pictures where you actually did operate into uh, Las Vegas into uh, the Bravo. There, what was that like? Uh, it was. It, it, I've done it twice now in the matter of the last two weeks and it yeah. was uh, fun. Yeah. Um, it was actually quick. It was much quicker than flying into to North for sure. But um, you know, the first time I did it, they had me stay just kind of to the uh, North side of the Bravo as they came in and just had me go straight into one. And then the second time I did it, they took me out and around over Henderson and then had me come in. And both times it was kind of a, the first time they said, keep your speed up. And I had my, my wife with me and, and they're like, keep your speed up as long as possible. So I just kind of looked at my wife and I said, you're going to need to just hang on because when we, right before the runway, I'm going to pull the power. I'm going to pull up to drop our speed as much as possible and drop the flaps and just get out of their way. And so 
I warned my wife and it went really, really smooth. So mm-hmm. I was going full throttle till a quarter mile out. Yeah. And, now let's, and, and then dropped yeah. it. Let's, let's, let, now let's back up a couple steps here. Um, how did you do this? Did you just call them from some distance away or did you call them in um, advance or how did that work? I called signature, um, from two days out to see if I needed a reservation or anything. Cause Signature um, the FBO there at, at yeah, uh, signature LAS. the FBO, correct. Yeah. Uh, I, I park at a signature both in Santa Barbara and in Long Beach, so they've now got a lovely program. If you park at one, you get discounts at others. It's it's about time. Um, but I called them and I said, "Can I fly in my 172?" And the lady laughed and goes, "Oh, you're being serious." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." <laughs> and uh, she goes, "Sure." You're, you're supposed to do that on a high pitched, squeaky voice. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave me a reservation number. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said they may require this to taxi, but you know, and I had to tell them when I was planning on coming in. And, um, and so I did, you know, I had done, had already done all the pre-flight planning and stuff. And so it was great. I, I, I was, when I, when I got my clearance out of Santa Barbara, um, I told them I was going to KLAS and every time I got handed, where, where are you actually going? KLAS? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. You're not uh-huh. going to Henderson or North. No, no, straight in. And, and uh, the first time it was, it was great. They had no issues. You know, when, when I called Las Vegas approach, the, the final one before tower, it was, uh, well, let's, let's see where we can fit you in. Just keep going. And, and same thing with the second time they were, they're fantastic. Cause there's so much, so much air traffic going in and out of there. Both times they, they just, they were super nice to me on, on radio and found a way for me to get in and gave me great direction and instruction. And yeah, I had no issues. Now, departing one of the two times, I think the second time was kind of interesting. What happened there? Well, there were were two very different departures. Both of them were fun. The second time I took off and they had me immediately turn. Like Um, over the field, they had you turn. Correct. So they had me turn over the field. So depending on which way the winds were going, the first time, uh, the the second time I took off one, uh, one right. And, um, they, so, uh, because everybody lands one left and you depart one, right. And I took off and I wasn't even halfway over the runway when they told me to make an immediate left turn at, you know, probably five, 400 feet off the ground. And I turned left and went over the helicopters and, and went over, they had me go straight over, um, the strip at, I was still climbing out. So seven, 800 feet. It was Mm -hmm. fun. I bet. Oh yeah. I oh, bet it was yeah. cool. I took a couple photos. I'll see. I'll send those to you too, Jeb. But there, it was. Uh, it was real interesting. I, I did get these uh, airborne shots. Thank you. Yeah. That, that, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the um, second time, right? Uh, that was the first time. That was the second time. Sorry, the first time it was really funny because I, um, I, uh, we were taxed. We were taken off the other way because the winds had shifted from one. So. Uh, what are the opposite one eight or yeah, I think it's one eight. So we're going the other way. One nine. There you go. So one nine, right at that point in time, um, or one nine left. But so I come over and there's a, you know, I've got all the corporate jets in front of me and across are the, are the Southwest and everybody else. And and ground goes, tower goes, can you get around them? And I'm like, sure. They're like, go to your left. And I just went around them. They're like, just go straight onto the runway and take off and get out of their way. So I just went right around. All these big guys got on and went. Yeah, <laughs> it's hysterical. I remember, 
Yeah, I remember you. you I, I had occasion to look at your uh, your flight aware track for that trip, and, I, and I'm looking at it going, "This has got to be a mistake," because it literally showed you turning 45 degrees left like midfield, and oh, yeah. flying flying basically over the terminal building almost, I guess. And, yep. uh, and uh, but and I'm and I'm looking at him going, uh, you know, this is they just want him out of there. <laughs> they want him out of the way. And uh, yeah. so uh, yeah. Um, so it was, uh, and and I'm right though that that's just, I mean, all the other complications aside, that's just a way better place for you to land in Las Vegas. Is that right? Uh, for depending on where I'm working, yeah. This time um, I was going to the Bellagio both times, um, uh, one for a meeting and one for a wedding. But it was it was you know the the, the cost of landing there. Um, they waived the, the first night and they waived the, all, all sorts of other fees. And I just had to pay the overnight, which was a little expensive, but it was only about 20 bucks a night more than North or Henderson. And by the time you pay for yeah. a, an Uber or a cab from one of those two places, it ended up essentially costing the same. And it was six minutes to get from the FBO to the hotel yeah. versus 30. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any questions? And it was hysterical. Here? <laughs> yeah no no I'm, um, I'm familiar with i haven't i've never flown into mccarran but yeah i'm familiar with the lay of the land and, and yeah more ha- more power to you man yeah yeah Seriously. and it's funny because i always just figured i couldn't fly into mccarran and one day on a whim i called them and they're like yeah you can you can generally come in they've got four runways it's not like san diego where they will turn me they will turn me away at san diego regularly vfr um, vfr yeah yes yes okay they let me land from time to time. It's fun yeah, to land at that yeah. one. Um, uh, so it just kind of depends on who's in the tower and how busy they are. And mm-hmm. I've circled in San Diego, you know, one time for 15 minutes. And one time <laughs> I was like, the guy just goes, can you go straight to the numbers from where I was at? I was like, sure. And just kind of like fell in and got as quick as I could out of the way. And they were like, that good job. Uh-huh. You know, so. You said a minute ago that, that it's fun to land at uh, San Diego. What, what what about it do you like? Um. You typically in in a 172 flying VFR, when they get a window, you have like a minute to get to the ground. So when I'm by myself and nobody's with me and I can turn that plane and head straight for the numbers and then pull back last second, it's just it's just fun. You know, you're not on a 10 mile final. You're on a quarter mile final. (laughs) Yeah. And you're circling over the town and then you land and because San Diego is just one runway. So it's uh, you get out of the way and and some 737s coming right up your Right up your tail. No. So. No. Right. Um, I'm about to change the subject. Do you have any last questions about the loss of the, the, the Reed McCarran experience? No, I, uh, except, you know, you're probably taxiing um, about the same distance as you fly on some of those trips, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you know, when we took off one nine. Uh, I mean, when we took off one, when we land and take off one, it's it's very close, actually, because yeah, the signature is yeah. right over there. Oh, Taxing sure. yeah, all yeah, the way yeah, down yeah. to one nine, um, that took forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's tell them next time way. you can take a tell them next time you can take an intersection departure. And uh, yeah. I asked. Oh, yeah, they said they don't allow that. I've huh. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that one of the times, one of the reasons that you were in Las Vegas was to, uh, a wedding. You said I was at the Bellagio for a wedding. But the wedding wasn't at the Bellagio. No, the wedding where was, where was, was the wedding? It was was at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. 
Really? Oh, my, my brother-in-law got married and to a wonderful lady and, um, uh, they decided they were there for a, for a show for KBiz, and they said they decided to get married. It, it, it like they had planned it out. It's not like they were there and said, "Hey, come on up." So um, they got two helicopters from Maverick Helicopters right there, and we flew out to the Grand Canyon. Flew into the Grand Canyon. They landed at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. We got out. We were on the ground for an hour where they got married and had a little reception. <laughs> got great. back in the helicopters and flew back, and it was awesome. There was no other way to put it, but it was awesome. We're, um, yeah. I mean, I, you, you sort of just did, but what was that like? Does that? My understanding is it's a special deal to be able to fly below the rim of the canyon, isn't it? Well, um, there are there are routes. In talking to the helicopter pilot, there actually is even a fixed-wing route where you can go below the rim, um, but there's not a lot, and you have to apply for it in advance. But So the helicopter guys have a very specific route, and like, so where we landed is a spot that technically is owned by the tribe, but Maverick leases it from the tribe. So only Maverick helicopters are allowed to land there. Ah, okay. And so Maverick has their own place that they can fly in. And so, so I think they all kind of have their own um, routes per se that the, that have been approved, but it was, um, it was more impressive flying out than it was flying in because flying in, we kind of came from the side and the, the walls weren't huge until, but flying out, we like pretty much went straight up and out and it was really cool. Yeah. It's yeah. just absolutely beautiful. It's it's a once in a lifetime thing. And, and I've flown over it, you know, and I've flown around Vegas a lot, even fairly low in the 172, taking people on flights and flying around uh, the, the dam and, and, you know, um, Lake Mead, but this was just a really cool and incredible experience. And those things uh, are very a, a lot faster than my 172. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's just disgusting. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, yeah. Did uh, how does it work, Drew? I, I mean, is there there's no sort of Unicom or or or, or air traffic control, right? Is it just procedures no, and they announce themselves, or how does that work? Um, you know, there was, there's a helicopter air traffic control in Vegas, which yeah. is obvious because there's a lot of helicopter flight. But once we got about, I would say 15 miles outside of Vegas, 20 miles outside of Vegas. No, the pilot flipped on Unicom and there, there were two helicopters, that's the one behind. And yeah, the two of them would talk every once in a while, but for the most part, um, he didn't talk to ATC again until we got near. So I'm guessing there was a Unicom. I didn't actually ask him out there, but I know that he and the other Maverick helicopter were talking. Mm -hmm. um, and we couldn't hear in, on, on our comms. And I was kind of bummed. I was like, can you switch it so I can listen in? And he's like, no, we don't have that set up in here. You guys can only hear each other. And then when he flips the switch, and obviously we can't hear him anymore. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't hear who he was talking to. And every yeah. once in a while, he almost had like two triggers on his on his uh, on uh stick uh, yeah. stick yeah so one would be to talk to atc and and the other kind of was to us mm -hmm. but uh it was it, he was he was a great pilot it was a perfect day there was zero wind that's um, quite an he, adventure yeah. he even said you know the, the winds were incredible it's one of the best days he's ever had <laughs> um and uh and you know it's one of those things i'm sure you say it all the time but he and i were talking about some of the stuff he did and it's interesting because, like, Maverick has their own fueling station. As we were on our way back out in the middle of nowhere, they stopped. The two helicopters stopped, and they had built their own fueling station. It has, like, 26 pads, and 
the really? the pilots got out and went and filled up the helicopters themselves because they buy in bulk ten yeah, thousand gallons say, at a time. Right. I was going to say it's probably because uh, McCarran gas is way more expensive than uh, yeah yeah eight bucks a gallon at McCarran versus three fifty a gallon when they buy it themselves. Yeah, I know, huh? Wow. And Crazy. those those helicopters burn fifty five gallons an hour mm-hmm. and hold one hundred and twenty four gallons, I believe he said. Mm-hmm. So. Um, at eight bucks a gallon, that's a that's a big expense. Yeah, I mean, are they, they topping five us, bucks a gallon? Are they topping off the copters um, each time, or are they? You know, because I'm kind of concerned about how much weight. Are they going to no. fill all the seats and the tanks and then take off? I don't know. No, they don't. And actually, it's interesting when you check in. There's a scale that you step on, ah. and every person has to step on the scale, and then they tell you where you're going to be in the helicopter. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, and depending on what they're doing that day, so no, he did not, um, he did not uh, uh, do full tanks. Okay. I you know I essentially said how much fuel do you have, and he goes, well, full tanks we can go about two and a half hours to three hours. With you guys right now, we have about ninety five minutes. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. It's about forty five minutes out to the Grand Canyon, and then. Um, I think we're in the air maybe 25 minutes before he stopped and fueled up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, it was fun. It was. Well, yeah. That's quite an adventure. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Thank you. Moving on here. Um, so uh, this triple seven Hawaii thing, have you guys seen this story? This Which is... one? <laughs> I'm sorry. Is there another one? Well, the... I, I'm, I'm not sure which airport the other one was at. This um, is uh, Departing Maui, it says. Departing Maui, yes. Did see that. All right. So apparently this 777 took off from Maui, and soon after, I mean, really soon after takeoff, like, dropped. I mean, I don't know what the right word would be, but basically lost a lot of, of altitude. Went into a rapid descent. Rapid. I mean, and that we're not being euphemistic here. A ra- genuinely rapid descent. Whoa. Um Let's see now. Um, Look and at the, that. Holy the NTC, cow. Yeah, there's a, ver- there's a sort of a horizontal track uh, in, in, in shown here. Um, NDSB and FAA, are, this is from uh, AvWeb, are investigating December 18, 20, oh, this is 2020. Oh, so, so it's back just before the first year. Incident when a United Boeing 777 appeared to depart controlled flight in a steep descent after departing Maui for San Francisco. Um, the aircraft climbed to uh, 2,200 feet after departure and then entered the descent, coming within 800 feet of the Pacific Ocean. Um, according to data distilled from Flight Radar 24, the 777 descended at up to 8,600 feet per minute before recovering, resuming the climb, and continuing to San Francisco without incident. I'm sorry. Without further incident. <laughs> yeah, I know, really, because I don't think you get to say without incident at this point. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. Jeb, you, you pay more attention to this than, than I do. Has there been any word yet about what, what the heck happened here? Um. Yes and no. I, I saw something, but um, it's not in this story. Um, there's the word um, or the phrase um, premature flap retraction may have been in that article. Okay. I mean, yeah, but wow, that this is seems pretty dramatic even for that kind of thing. I don't know. Well, yeah, it is. And there's a lot going on in the system right now, guys. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know what this means. I don't know how how this fits into the big picture, but there's a lot going on in the, in the national air, airspace system right now. 
Well, yeah. I mean, what exactly? What are you thinking about? I mean, what, give me, give me, give me, make, give me a short uh, I'm list. Not really, I'm not. Well, there's the JFK runway incursion. Yeah. Um, there's the uh, Austin uh, Austin uh, um, runway yeah. uh, conflag. I don't know what you want to call that. Yeah, right. Uh, the uh, Fubar. The, right. There was another episode I uh, just saw earlier today or yesterday. A trip seven crossed a runway it shouldn't have crossed while a, uh, is a, a caravan was landing on the runway. They didn't. They didn't have a clearance to cross. I hadn't heard this one. Maybe they did have a clearance to cross the runway. Okay. But crossed it anyway. I mean, um, don't know yet. Uh, right. I'm, I'm seeing something right. about that. Yep. So there was an airliner versus a bus at I believe it was LAX. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. but I mean, seriously though, I mean, all kidding aside, is, is this is something going on, or are this just these things come in bunches? I, I they do come in bunches. Uh, there there is something going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. You know, a lot of people are saying that the system is flashing. You know, bright yellow, bright red lights. Um, I don't know that that's the case, but there's everybody's working really hard, and some people are not maybe uh, up to speed on what they need to be. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I can't t- sit here and tell you that um, this particular trip seven uh, episode. Um, Someone retracted the flaps too early, but there, that there's that phrase again is out there in connection with this. Um, does that mean that um, the captain screwed up? Does that mean that there was a mechanical issue with the flap retraction? Does that mean that um, when when uh, the captain or the the pilot flying said flaps twenty? Someone just heard flaps, and it was time to raise the flaps, and pulled the flaps up, and hey, we got a sinking sensation here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder how quickly those flaps, like if it was that, how how quickly does it take to get those flaps back up in something that big? I don't know. I suspect they go out about as quick as they go in. Um, I don't know. Is it possible that having retracted the flaps inadvertently they were in a speed con- you know profile that didn't allow them to put them back out no no okay <laughs> no um all you gotta do is pull the nose up a little bit lose some airspeed and you'll be right back where yeah. you were yeah okay um but even then uh hey you know we got 800 feet between us and the pacific ocean i'm not really gonna care if the flaps break yeah well i, I mean true okay Someone will have to do an inspection. Well, I mean, no, I was I'll, actually... be on the, I'll be on the ground, and they'll have to do the inspection. Yeah, but see, now, all, that's all the more reason why. This is even more so that it reinforces my puzzlement as to why they continued. Why did they not turn around and come back to Maui after this crazy thing happened? Well, they didn't have the luxury of, of looking at this profile, first of all. Uh, secondly, they probably didn't have a G-meter and didn't know um, whether they'd... they'd uh, over uh, stress the airplane or not or um and yeah the other the other thing the other thing going on here is is you know hey did anybody see that (laughs) yeah yeah i'm sorry drew what were you saying you're saying that it it had heavy rain and broken layer at 900 feet with 2,000 feet overcast Uh, coming back wouldn't have been a trivial thing Uh, well coming back would have been there's never a trivial thing when you're just taking off and you need to return because you're going to be overweight for landing uh, in that airplane, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, 
is could it be a confluence of events where there's a major there was you know convective weather there was a lot of uh, turmoil in the in the atmosphere uh, associated with that particular weather system, which later wreaks, wreaks some havoc on the Pacific coast. Is if I'm understanding the the, the episode, uh, there could have been you know a, a big downdraft. It's part of this uh, uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. We, we track you know take too many degrees out of the flaps and you encounter a downdraft at the same time and you want to push the throttles through the panel and we'll see what happens yeah crazy yeah it's and this is just the latest episode of you know we don't and this actually this isn't last this was in december we're just hearing about this now yeah yeah it's 8600 descended at up to 8600 feet per minute Talk yeah. about pucker factor. Yeah, man. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, try, try that in your Skyhawk. Really? That's, once. that's, that's Drew. <laughs> that's Drew arriving into San Diego there all by yeah. himself. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's going down pretty fast. Um, so, uh, because, and, and I think what it alludes to in the article is, and uh, this 2.7 G's, um, well, I don't know, maybe that, is that, is that a lot for an airliner like that? I'm, I'm wondering, that was the pullout I would, I, I would saw, imagine. I again, know. I saw something else somewhere. Not this story. I don't remember where it was, but I think the G loading for a trip seven is the max positive G loading for a trip seven is two point five Gs. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, crazy, crazy. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Out I would be, have been. Y'all be careful out there now. Uh, as a passenger, this would have. I. I would have died. I mean, I don't know. I. I this would have been. I would have gotten off that airliner and truly never ever going on the airlines again. This would have scared the living crap. We went on to San Francisco, dude. What's that mean? I know, <laughs> I know. And and if I mean if I lived that long, I uh, yeah okay. Anyways, all right. This was just nuts. Really, yeah, well, nuts. there's a lot of nuts out there. Right yeah. Well, I guess there's yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, what's next here? Um, Last episode, Jeb, you and I talked a bit about this uh, Cirrus slash Continental engine yes. issue thing. And the day after we talked about it, they put out a survey. Yeah, and the day afterwards, what did they put out, Jeb? Ah, you gotta make me look it up. Did you? Jeb. Well, you guys both fly Continental engines, though, right? Did either of you get this letter? Um, Drew does not fly a Continental. No, I don't fly a Continental. You don't. I'm sorry. No. I, I, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I, duh. But Jeb, you do. Did, did you get yeah. the letter or? I have not seen that yet. But, but um, it's for fairly new engines, though. Yes. Correct. They, I mean, it's for think. like the last four or five years. I got something else, but I didn't get that. Okay. I'm sorry. I was I was mistaken. Uh, but, but Jeb, the, the, uh, um, but see, that's the thing now. They, they, they don't, they think it's new engines. They, it's maybe probably for new engines. But last time I I'm read not sure anything. That's, I'm not sure that's the thing at all. What, what. My read on this, yeah. as, as we talked um, last week, um, some engines that were built in the fat Continental factory beginning, um, I want to say January 1 of, of 21, and continuing through recently, uh, there's a possibility they could have been incorrectly assembled. And specifically, the, uh, the snap rings were installed uh, incorrectly. Right. And um, they know from experience that the engine can fail um, within 200 hours if this is done. And um, they don't know uh, specifically which engines, which serial numbers might have this problem. Apparently, 
as as we talked, I think a week ago, um, uh, whoever was assembling these engines did so incorrectly or did so um, uh, without maybe a lot of training. Right. And and um, so they just they simply don't know uh, if these snap rings were installed correctly. So there's an inspection procedure. Thankfully, the the uh, uh, all, not all the cylinders have to be removed, um, um, but that also brings up a no, whole other issue I'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Um, and um, if they, if the inspection does find that the snap rings are incorrectly um, uh, installed, then there are other steps. Not, of course, reinstalling installing new snap rings correctly but there may be some other uh, inspections uh, related to the finding mm-hmm. um the uh anytime you uh with a, with a conventional uh, horizontally opposed lycoming or continental or franklin or whatever engine you have in your airplane typically the construction the design of that engine uh, d- uh, uses the uh, through bolts to do double duty the, the through bolts not only hold the case halves together, but they also uh, hold down the. Uh, they're also piston studs, and can be used. Or no, that's not that's not exactly correct. Uh, the through bolts um, can lose torque uh, because of the way you have to disassemble the case halves. Okay. And um, in that event, you can, when you put it back together, you can uh, get the torque settings wrong. And down the road, a crankshaft bearing, uh, the, the, the padding, the, the, the pad where the, the uh, crankshaft for it sits, um, those bearings can get loose and spin, and that's going to ruin your whole day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Or at least the engine part of it. Um, so there's all that going on. So I, I'm, my engine, my airplane is not affected because it was built in the field sometime before the, the uh the window of opportunity here right. uh, opened. Right. So I, I'm not specifically concerned about all that. But uh, this, uh, how many pages is this? 44 page service bulletin. Really? I'm, I'm, yeah. What, what, why is it so long? What, what, what does it contain? It's, well, I'm, I'm big, on big monster four. list of serial numbers, or is it instructions no, well, on how I mean, to do let, the thing? Let me see. Let me see if it does. Hang on a second. Yes, it does have a big monster list of. Serial numbers. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's go look for mine real quick just to make sure. Listen, my the, my engine model's not even here, so. There you uh, go. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, I, my nose is clean, so to speak. All right. Well. Yes, it does have a big, long list of engine numbers. Wow. <laughs> Holy <What>? crap. <laughs> all right. Well, there yeah, we go. Now I understand why Cirrus was so concerned. Uh, yeah, that's what you suggested last episode, that, that Cirrus was just trying to kind of get them off the dime on this. And uh, um, I guess it worked. I don't know. It seems to have yeah. uh, worked. Okay. Uh, well, Keep in mind also that I would guess that um, given the aircraft sales figures, I'm with which I'm familiar, Cirrus probably uh, uh, bought the majority of these engines brand new. Yeah. Uh, and uh, installed them right so well, didn't they say that was the thing about their their fleet like they've had to shut down their own fleet well they advised customers with aircraft um manufactured between certain dates they advised customers not to fly the airplanes which is yeah. kind of unusual um but um supposedly 
I don't know if there's been any incidents. We'll find out, I'm sure, before the smoke clears from this. But I don't know if there have been incidents where engines have failed because of this. I guess there probably have, uh, or they wouldn't be all that concerned about it. But I don't know which engines have failed, where they failed, what happened, what the outcome was, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. 44 pages. 44 pages. Yet another possible episode title. 44 pages. 44 pages. Um, two more things I wanted to talk about before we break here. Um, first of all, kind of a, almost a shout out. I just I came across this and I just think it's kind of fun and kind of cool and I don't know, kind of something. Um there's a there's a website bertrutan.com it is apparently according to its self description um a an autobiography being written by the legendary bert rutan um and uh it's it, you know in it, it, it's very bert rutanish in that it's totally unlike anything you've seen before um <laughs> it, it's just like it, it's you know although it, although it has sections and chapters that are numbered apparently they're not being written in any particular order they're not even necessarily displayed in any order uh, in the in this in the table of contents here um and if you and i haven't read the whole thing because there's a lot of material here um about about bert's career and, and projects he's worked on and and so forth um but uh, the ones that i've read so far are seem to be written in the third person um which suggests that either it's not a, an autobiography or that's just the way bert would write you know i mean bert would just write about himself in the third person maybe i don't know um so uh i just want to call people's attention to it if you're interested in this kind of thing uh, either bert's uh, uh airplanes um over the years or or his his uh you know his just i don't know I, i'm 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 a big fan of our Bert Rutan and, and all of the uh, works he's done over the years. And um, I, it used to be a regular thing at Oshkosh. You, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the handful of things that I do every Oshkosh is make sure I go to Bert's big central um, uh, forum session um, where he would just, you know, he'd, he'd always have a bunch of them because he'd have some that were very specific about subject matter, often that didn't wasn't rele- relevant to me. But he'd have one that I think he called it like the tent show or something like that. The point is it was just his opportunity to riff on whatever it is he wanted to talk about or whatever people wanted to ask him about. And it was always fascinating. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of Bert Rutan. So if, you're, if you are too, you might want to check it out. It's, it's literally BertRutan.com. Um, and, uh, uh, cool stuff, cool stuff. Um, it's very funny that it strongly, strongly suggests that you start by reading chapter 17 and then the table of contents (laughs) and then chapter 82. Yeah. So he skips around like Pulp Fiction. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's the kind of crazy thing you would get from, you know, it's like that's it's very nearly as crazy as putting the tail on the front of the airplane. Let's put it that way. OK. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, Bert Rutan. The last thing I wanted to talk about, maybe you guys have some stuff, too. The last thing I want to talk about, uh, Drew. Um, so Jeb and I and, uh, talked in a couple of recent episodes about this um, new unleaded 100 octane unleaded fuel that recently got the STC um, um, available for it. Yeah, and I just wondered if you, if you have any, uh, what's your take on this whole thing as an airplane owner and and a very very busy airplane operator? I I am, uh, I want it to be in my airport immediately. I've actually um, sent a note to my airport administrator and to my FBO. Hey, can we get you know Jewel one hundred because I would love to switch, uh, which I haven't received any things for, but I've been meaning to 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 get the STC and. Um, 
Uh, I actually, while we've been talking and I've had the chance to sit down on my computer for a couple minutes, I actually Googled how to do it. And it's very simple. And I would probably be done by now if I could re- find the serial number of my engine. It's the only thing I'm missing. I don't seem to have that with me currently. It's not, okay. It's in your logbook somewhere. Yeah, yeah. but I don't have my logbook with me. There is. A, do I? I don't remember. No, the logbook, engine logbook. Yeah, um, I don't have yeah. that with me. That's yeah, you probably don't. Safe. But it, your airplane's not all that easy to get the top cowling off, is it? Oh, very easy. Is it? Okay. It's um, like eight should, there should There should be a data plate on top of the engine. Huh? Um, um, at least on, on my engine and other engines with which I'm familiar. That's the way it's, that's where it is. It's not going to be like buried under the in the, the uh, accessory case or in the transmission block or something like that. Like it would be in a car, but um, yeah, it should be a, a metal um, plate okay. uh, riveted riveted to the engine case. It should be on the top. I'm guessing. Okay. Um, I also didn't the, realize how many versions of O320s there were because I was just oh, going to yeah. put in a Lycoming O320. Whoa. There's like 18 different versions of an 0320. Well, you you got yeah you, you need the serial number though yeah okay I was gonna say yeah. you've got a stock airplane so you could you know figure out the model but you still need the serial number because mm-hmm. it's yeah because yeah, yeah. it's an STC yeah. yeah but it sounds like Jeb uh, correction Drew um you're you're ready to go you'll you'll use oh, the yeah. serial the moment it's that it's available to you and uh, well and I I fly up north regularly and I think uh, I think you said it's Reed Hillview has already switched. We we saw yeah we saw a report that, that Reed had it and uh, and and uh, I think there were a couple others up there too possibly uh, uh, San Carlos and maybe even Palo Alto but uh, yeah we we but you know I mean Reed Hillview of course is a special case because Reed Hillview and and we were unclear we did I never did the research to find out whether Reed ever got back the 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 ability to sell hundred low lead but they they reportedly lost that that right permission whatever approval a, yeah. a bunch of months ago um and had no fuel for at least a little while um and uh but i did hear someplace along the line that they, they now had this i think i heard that they had the g100 um the 100 ul um so uh yeah it, it just makes sense i know i know they're saying it's going to take eight to ten years for it to become widespread but there's a part of me that's that surprised our government's not stepping in to get this lead out you know, and, and the thing for me, from what I've been told and all the research I've done, you know, it's better for the airplane. You don't have to deal with, with your spark plugs um, um, getting caked over. It's supposed to be better for the engine. So why would I not switch as soon as I could? Yeah. Well, it's it's might be more expensive. I mean, is In that the a long run? Is it really more expensive if it's making your engine last longer? Well, that's that's the math. Somebody's got to do the arithmetic, and uh, yeah. yeah. And we don't know that the absence of lead will um, mean we don't have to clean our spark plugs as often. Yeah. It will mean that there's not going to be lead in the oil, and that we might not have to change it as much. It will mean that that. Uh, um, there's not as many contaminants and, and chemical byproducts in the engine, in the engine oil, et cetera, um, from th- that we have now when we burn hundred low lead. Uh, how all that will shake out with lowered maintenance costs, we don't know yet. It, it, it depends on a lot of things, not least of which is how often we fly. Yeah. Okay. And I fly, you know, I mean, right now, 
if I'm going between Long Beach and Santa Barbara, it costs me roughly fuels up a little bit, so roughly sixty dollars in fuel. And if that goes up to seventy or seventy-five, well, that's fifteen dollars to help the environment that I have no issues yeah. paying. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're you're not the only one who has who does not have those issues, but there are a lot of pilots out there, aircraft owners, who um, you know that could push them over the edges yeah. when it comes to when it comes to operating costs. They might be just barely hanging on as it is now. Hmm. Yeah. It, but know, I'm, I'm I, hoping I if there's enough them, guys yeah. like me, yeah. uh-huh. it'll start to bring that down. Because exactly. if there get more guys like me who who that little bit, you know, if I were flying, you know, like, um, you know, like your buddy up North, Jack, who has four airplanes and flies them for, you JR, know, the, the yeah. school JR, right. That's a different year. If you're talking three or $400 a week, well, that's a different story. But if you get enough guys like me who are, you know, an extra 30 or 40 bucks a week, if we do that and it, and it gets out there more then hopefully that'll bring the price down. Hopefully, fingers crossed, from your lips to somebody. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. good, good. Um, that's everything's on my list. Anything you guys want to talk about before we call it a day? We good? Let's see. Um, well, there's... You don't maybe, have to. You could say, no, no we're done, you know, Jack. <laughs> Jack, I think we're done. Fork time. Fork time. Thank you, guys. <laughs> it's always a blast uh, to talk with you both, and uh, and this was no exception. Um, one of those voices, that's Drew Poli. Drew's a 1,000-hour private pilot. He owns a Cessna 172 that he flies all over the western United States. When he's not flying, he runs Don't Wonder Productions, a busy special events audiovisual company based in Southern California. You can learn more about Drew's company at don'twonder.com. And on Twitter, Drew is Don't Wonder Productions. Go figure, huh? And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications online. You can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag. You can also find Jeb's work at aea.net, abweb.com. On Mastodon, Jeb is burnsidej at mytransponder.com. And on Twitter, he's burnsidej. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter or YouTube or Patreon. Um, On Mastodon, I am Jack Hodgson at mytransponder.com. And uh, you can find my e-books on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. And we want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to our little podcasts here. Um, if possible, please become a supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. Uh, or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation, care of the email address podcast at uncontrolled airspace.com. Just 10 or $15 spread over the span of a year is really a big, big help to us in, with the various expenses here. And we'd love to hear from you folks, so if you uh, you want to, you can use that same email address to send us email at podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Send us your comments and questions. And uh, anyways, Jeb, was there something you wanted to say? I was just going to say, we always remember, the airplane knows how to fly better than you do. Your job is just to land it and take it off and point it where you, where you want to go. Let the airplane do the flying. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs>